welcome to this week's It's Not Abuse If It's an Editorial edition of Spin Cycle. Of course, it will all make sense shortly. Broadcasting from the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, always was, always will be, paytherent.org.au. I'm Jess Lilly and I'm in the studio with Crikey reporter Charlie Lewis. Hi, Charlie. Hey, Jess. How you doing? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. I am ready to talk about that uh, article, which we'll get to in a moment. Yes. <laughs> but in about 15 minutes, uh, we'll be chatting to Saffron Howden, and I'm very excited about that. Um, Saffron has uh, initiated a really great regional reporting series called Young and Regional for Australian Community Media that we're going to talk about, but she's also done a lot of other stuff, and I'm really keen to hear all about it. Um uh, and first, we're going to check out a new story that has caught our eye. Hmm. Um, <laughs> we, I was going to say, Charlie, what's the story that has stuck with, with you this week? That's always my script. But actually, <laughs> we've already decided what we're going to Yeah, and I, I suppose, I mean, it, it, it doesn't, it's a, I don't think it's stuck with me as, as much as it's stuck with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it resonates. I mean, yeah. I, it was weird when I, not weird, but just sort of like, wow, when I first saw it. And then it resonated with me a lot um, since then. The story we're talking about, is it's not a story, it's an editorial. And this is something that we need to talk at some point to an editorial. Um, to an, an opinion. opinion uh, sorry, editor, it's not an editorial. Not an editorial. Sorry, it's, a, it's, it's an, opinion, an opinion piece. Opinion yeah. piece. Um, and we, uh, and I think, oh, that's, I messed up my intro. I said, it's not abusive, it's an editorial. It's actually not abusive, it's an opinion piece. Mm. That's what that linked to. We should start again. Uh, but it's an opinion piece. And I think we've often talked about this. I mean, the the um, publisher, in theory, is, you know, in an academic sense, mm-hmm. they're simply in the opinion pages publishing opinions. And yeah. so, you know, you publish a diverse range of opinions and they're not, they're not editorials, is what I meant to say, and they don't necessarily ref- reflect any sort of editorial opinion. It's the opinion of no, the writer. No. However, sometimes you wonder how some pieces got to be <laughs> yeah. part, got past the editor. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that that, that is the um, as you say the, the 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 kind of platonic ideal that you're describing of of this a completely neutral process that just puts opinion out into the world. It's obviously nonsense. Is as and and there there will be a a, a a group of human beings with views on the world mm. who will decide whether or not that ought to go out into the world. Um, and you can disagree or agree with that process, but but we ought not to think that it's some kind of neutral process. But anyway, I, I piece, suppose we ought to, yes, yes uh, actually enlighten our listeners on yes. what the, the piece actually is. Uh, um, so it's a piece that um, it was published in the Sydney Morning Herald this week um, by um, uh, someone called Kate Halfpenny, who's a regular columnist. And the headline is, we, we were not pandering. Sometimes it's best to tell it to kids straight. And she goes on to talk about how um, in her efforts to build resilience in her children, um, she was, <clears throat> I'd say, uh, in her mind, she called a spade a spade. <laughs> or other, I know there are other words for this, tough love, uh, telling it to kids straight, etc., etc. Um, but then the, the um, examples that <laughs> the she examples gives are, are like, 
I, you know, I just like that. It feels like abuse, you know. I don't know if you're allowed to say that. Um, anyway, she talks about highlighting the day that her kids was supposed to be there, rec- recognising their 50th football game with a big banner that they ran through. Their banner actually highlighted the three games that they thought he, he didn't play very well. Um, they were constantly telling one kid that, Another kid was their favourite. If kid, if their children, oh yeah, dared I mean, to complain about what the, <laughs> not having the iPad or something. There's a lot of there's a lot of details that kind of stand out in this piece. The but one then that really the got really to me, big one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, I, I, this is an aside. One of the complaints that she throws that at apparently is the fact that the child is very annoyed that they have not been given enough fondue. And I'm like, I don't remember a particular time when I was I in my in my starry-eyed youth when all I could dream of was a bit more fondue. And I was so mad if my sister got more fondue than I did. I, I've got to admit, though, that um, I, I did laugh at that because when we were kids, um, my mum was very – food was her very controlling thing. Right, we're not going right. to turn this into therapy. But <laughs> – you Not know, deliberately. There anyway. was like, you know, half an avocado would go into the family salad because the other half could be used the next day for 15 pieces of toast. Do you know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah, and so yeah. there would be like, my brother and I were just like rabid as soon as the salad went on the table. We'll literally fight for the yeah, three right, pieces right, yeah, of yeah. avocado, <laughs> which does also sound, it sounds almost as bad as the fondue. But no, you're right. Who, who uses that as an example <laughs> of... <laughs> I think it sort of sets the scene. But the worst one was when um, she she mentioned that, um, you know, <clears throat> she limit, had an absolute limit on the amount of times that they would um, take calls from school requiring uh, that they pick their children up. Yeah, yeah. And there was one um, with one of her kids, the, the, the call came in and they had passed their limit and that was that she said put them on a train and send them home and it turned out they had a um, knee injury so severe so severe it required um, surgery and her response was just like oops well I mean I think I mean in some ways I have to give her credit for that that she includes that anecdote because some people would think that kind of undermines their argument that um, your your tough love approach requires your child to walk home after school or, or or find their own way home after school once they've hurt their knee so badly that a surgeon many years later will say that their knee is stuffed um that is like yeah fun i mean i think there's a, there's a lot there's a lot to unpack with that piece um i mean the thing that um my slightly more frivolous take on it is that and i wrote this this week is that one of the kind of slightly weirdly reassuring things as a sort of close media watcher in Australia mm. is that you get to the point now where after a certain number of years that when all you need is maybe a headline or maybe a quick synopsis of a piece, of, of a piece that's like a bad take that's driving everyone insane and everyone gets really mad about it. You just need a quick one-line summation of what the story is about and you know straight away which paper it came from or which publication <laughs> it came from. So like if, if, if it's like – if it's like so for example like in, in, in – during the COVID era there was a piece that was like my dad who's not actually that old would be very happy to die as long as it could get lockdown done so we can open the shops again. 
after a certain point, you know that's the AFR, the Australian Financial <laughs> Review that did that one. Um, if you and maybe maybe our listeners will be ahead of me on this one, so and I'd be interested to see. But like, if someone writes a piece that's like the only reason that Vladimir Putin had the gall to invade Ukraine is because of woke teaching to our children in our, you know, that's the Australian. You know that that's an opinion piece from Australia. Oh my god, I love it. And so like, oh, and if someone is like. Thank you, COVID, for teaching me that my haircut doesn't define me as a human being. You go, The Guardian is the only place that's <laughs> publishing that. Um, so, like, it was really nice to be like, well, the one thing, the one, like, insane or, you know, troublesome take, shall we say, uh, in Australian media. A troublesome parenting take that you that know, it, you know it's the age or the Sydney Morning Herald. It's like, <laughs> is it like, stop being so nice to your kids, you idiot. You know that's coming from the age, which I find well, I like, weirdly reassuring um, in a very dispassionate way. I, guess. I did when I was reading it. I was kind of like, um, oh, how narrow is the audience of the opinion section? Like, mm. rather than getting, you know, I think um, I was slightly shocked that, you know, that some and a, a column like this that was so explicitly problematic, not shocked, but it's kind of like God, man. Mm. It's there is so few people this can talk to. That this could be good for, yeah. I oh, mean, yeah. I suppose, like, and, and I suppose also it's it's the kind of um, it's the gradients of thought in a way that kind of let slightly weird opinion pieces um, get published is that. The idea that kids ought not be coddled too much and, and that, that we actually spend too much time, you know, uh, catering to children and their feelings um, and that, that breeds toxic self-involved adults, that's, that's not that far from the mainstream. But and I so think it's you, one of those yeah. things like, Charlie, remember, I don't know if you saw that lovely um, – I love it when people do – bother to do the research and then create a really great graphic that everyone can relate to. Mm-hmm. But this idea that no one wants to work anymore and someone oh, yeah, someone yeah, yeah, did yeah. a fantastic sort of um, graphic of newspaper headlines and, and editorials. Yeah. From about 1908, I think, was the yes. earliest one. and there were about, you know, there were like 30 <laughs> of them on this yeah, timeline. Yeah. Oh, for sure, for from sure. From 1908 but to actually, now, no one wants to work anymore. And I think this is sort of similarly on a continuum of kids need to hard Every, everyone, everyone thinks that they're. Oh, actually, I, I did, I did, I did the equivalent of that. It's weird that we actually this came up. I did the equivalent of that um, when, when, um, when Antaj was education minister. He did a speech where he argued that kids don't would not want to defend Australia anymore because we've taught oh, them this right. self-loathing yeah. idea of. Australian history. The flag so, is, you know, equals racism, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, Gallipoli was a disaster. The frontier wars were a horrible crime against humanity. All, all tick, that, you know, tick, true, tick, true. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, and, and so my, my editor said, do you want to just go go back and see how many times they've made that argument? And it's, it's, exactly, it's exactly the same. Mm. Kids don't want to work anymore. Kids are too soft. You can actually – it doesn't it's, – it's, it's, it goes way past the mass media age. It goes way pa- past the 20th century. It's the 1750s. You can find um, writers in, in French salons talking about the, <laughs> the awful, effete nonsense that the youth of today are coming up with. It's, it's actually very reassuring in a strange way. Oh, and, I love it. Yeah. Um, I God, I, as you were talking, um, you, I wanted you to keep going for one second because my fa- <laughs> actually I remembered my favourite um, headline from this week. Ah, 
It was that Steve Price one. Oh, that's it. I've got it in the Herald Sun. Oh, God, yes, yes, yes. The other opinion headline that was um, amazing. And, again, guess the paper. But I've already said it. But it's so obvious. Um, (laughs) Nirvana, overseen by Greens with an apocalyptic worldview, would be paid for by a tax on the rich. The Greens' proposed utopia may provide Australians with good teeth, free childcare and uni but winters will be cold and dark as billionaire miners pay the price. It's <laughs> da, 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 da. and again, I think you 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 raised it before with the 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 opinion piece we were talking about before about like well who who is supposed to be chilled to the bone by that? I, I, I think maybe they, maybe is he like, saying the billionaires are going to withhold the the heat for people because they're going to be all McScrooge about it? I, I, su- I suppose. I didn't actually read the article. Mm. I hate to tell you. I hate to break <laughs> it to you. True brother. True brother. <laughs> Calling from Shepparton right now, Saffron Howden started her journalism career as a cadet reporter at the Australian Associated Press, a.k.a. the AAP, in Sydney before being thrown into the deep end in the Federal Press Gallery. She has worked at the Daily Telegraph and Sydney Morning Herald and has launched Australia's only national newspaper for kids, Crinkling News. Great title. Saffron has also applied her trade at the regional masthead, the Northern Star, on the northern coast of New South Wales and now oversees editorial training for a whole lot of regional titles with the Australian community media. Uh, And it was here that she launched an incredible series that we want to dig into a little bit, Young and Regional, featuring young journalists exploring their own and their generation's struggles with the property crisis. Uh, And it features in titles across the country. Welcome to Triple R, Saffron. Thank you for having me. Delighted to be here. It's so great to chat. So can you, for um, for listeners who obviously are majority based in Melbourne, aren't as familiar with sure. the series, just give us a shout. Tell us about how Young and Regional came about and the, the sort of reach of it because it's an amazing series. Thank you. And, and obviously um, all of the credit for that goes to the reporters, the young reporters who worked on this. Um, so it came about because I'm an editorial trainer, so I, I literally train journalists and editors to be the best journalists they can be. And, um, and I have these groups of young reporters that I work with, and um, every meeting I had with them, um, it, you know, life was kind of getting in the way. Um, there, you know, there was a reporter with the second job um, to try and make, you know, mortgage repayments in regional New South Wales. You know, there was the reporter who had moved to a regional town and just couldn't find a place to live and was, you know, living in a university dorm and trying to go to work every day after being woken up at 2am by university students um, coming home in the middle of the week. That sounds hellish. (laughs) Yes, with shared bathrooms and shared kitchens and and that kind of thing. Um, And so I guess it came out of that. It it came out of these very real experiences that these reporters were having uh, with their own lives. And, and weirdly, they were going to work and they were writing about the cost of living crisis and the housing crisis in regional Australia. But they were, it was a very personal thing for them because they were also living it. Mm. Um, you know, trying to find a rental, um, particularly since COVID um, in regional Australia when people have kind of fled the cities um, and uh, living regional has become easier to do because, you know, if you can, you can work remotely and... Mm-hmm. You know, you can spend some time regional and then come back to the city for a bit. Um, 
So that's meant that, you know, trying to move to a regional town for a job, like your first journalism gig or something, is, is really hard. And we've got, we've got, like, you know, editors who are lining up um, at inspections for reporters um, to try and help them, you know, oh get gosh. a place to live. <laughs> yes. So it came about, and I, I was like, you know, they were, they were all kind of talking about this and thinking about it and they living it. They were trying it. to like, report objectively third person when actually it's their experience, their lived experience. Absolutely. Um, so it was sort of born from that and then just so many stories were coming in of people's individual circumstances of, you know, trying to deal with, you know, trying to find a place to live. You know, there's stuff that happens that in in regional areas that you don't get in the bigger cities. Mm-hmm. Um, and I live on the fringes of Sydney. Um, I happen to be in, um, not quite Shepparton, I'm in Horsham at the moment oh, in Victoria. No. Oh, no. I got that. <laughs> I, I, I heard the SH and mm-hmm. went, oh, I've got a song for that. <laughs> Damn it. There's, uh, to be um, honest, a horse life would not have sounded the same. So. It have, I don't think it would have scanned as well. I don't think it would have. But um, both have lovely rivers, so, um, you know, we'll take what we can get. Um, yeah, so um, it, it, it was born out of that. And I guess one of the other things that, um, you know, happens in regional areas that doesn't happen in cities is they don't have a lot of housing diversity. So if you're oh, that's interesting. a single... Yeah, so if you're a single young professional, right, mm. and um, you're moving out to the regions, what are your options? You've kind of got a five-bedroom homestead or <laughs> farmhouse <laughs> or, um, and all you really need is an apartment and um, there are not a lot of those in regional areas, um, particularly in the smaller towns. To, um, to sort of go back a little, sorry, um, this is Charles Heap, Saffron, thank you so much for joining us. Um, to, to, to go back to some of the, the, the practicalities, I guess, of this project, um, just to, for our listeners, whereabouts are these reporters based? Are they, are they mainly in New South Wales or are they scattered across the country? And do you find from that that there are different issues that affect different kind of regions of Australia? There's always specific, um, you know, issues that are specific to a region or a town, of course, but the reporters for this came mainly east coast, but they came from um, Victoria, New South Wales, Tasmania and um, the ACT. Um, So we, we had a pretty broad reach. And I guess while there were, you know, factors that were different in each of those places, what struck us all when we all started talking about it and brainstorming for this project was the commonalities. Mm. So um, we were finding that no matter what state or territory you're in, people were facing the same problems. And no matter what regional town, um, you know, the lack of housing diversity, the lack of housing full stop, um, the the queues um, that you would kind of expect in Melbourne and Sydney um, for a rental property, they happen in regional Australia as well, you know, around the block. Um, and... And also the cost, which is, as we all know, um, over COVID um, and just with Australia's insane property market over the last few years, um, is prohibitive for some people, particularly when, you know, there are no apartments available. So what, what do you do when you, you, yeah, you can't afford a big house? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Saffron, I'm, I'm interested. You mentioned earlier that a lot of um, reporters, regional reporters, you were saying they come into the area because they get a job and then they can't find accommodation. 
Uh, is it still the way that um, these regional newspapers are a training ground for people from metropolitan areas? Is that what's happening? Are there not many... You've committed, you've committed a great sin. You're not allowed to say that about regional journalism. <laughs> no, that's why I was curious because you did say if someone moves into the area and I'm like, oh, interesting. Are they not local kids, you know, getting the, the regional um, reporting jobs? Yeah, so it's a combination um, right. of, of um, you know, the, the, the reporters who end up working for the local paper or local, you know, radio station or broadcaster or, you know, the ABC or whatever it might be. Mm. Um, it's always a combination. But, look, regional journalism is a mix. It's a mix of sort of, you know, longer-term staff who have, you know, made a base in the region. They've decided to stay there or they were born there or they grew up there and they've moved back um, and now they work for, you know, the local media outlet, whatever it is. Um, but it, it does still remain a um, like for for journalism graduates an amazing place to learn the trade. Mm-hmm. Um, regional newsrooms are um, you get to do a bit of everything um, because you just there are fewer resources, fewer staff, and so you get to try everything out. You do a bit of sports coverage, you do a bit of council, you know, you you cover you know a bit of crime and courts, and everyone gets an opportunity just because the you know the newsrooms are smaller. So. And I know this having worked at places like AAP and the Sydney Morning Herald and you go into a regional newsroom as I'm doing, you know, over this week in regional Victoria um, and they're smaller. And so there are more opportunities. So it's an amazing training ground, of course. Um, but, of course, some people also go, you know what, I actually really love it here. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and yeah. I think I'm going to stay. And yeah, I think I've enough. just found my last partner here and um, I'm yeah. not moving. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am also curious, like you've covered everything from, you know, the Sydney, Sydney Morning Herald, the Canberra Press Gallery. Also, you've jobbed as a regional reporter. What is your sense of the of the kind of publishing, the news landscape in Australia at the moment, having sort of seen all of those sorts of roles in your own way, now um, working as an as a sort of editorial trainee? Look, it's definitely changed uh, dramatically in the time that I've been, I've been in this industry for 20 years now, um, almost 20 years, and it's changed a lot, um, you know, particularly for the... Um, for the commercial media, um, we, we all know this. I think it's sort of pretty well known now that there's there's less money. With You know, the industry used to, you know, rely on um, really a huge amount of classifieds and advertising dollars. And, you know, as the digital revolution rolled out, um, that, that has diminished. Um, but I think there's two ways of looking at it. Um, one is... Um, Yes, and by the way, it goes for metro media as well. It goes for the media generally and, and worldwide, not just uh, Australia. Mm. Yeah, of course. Um, we're definitely doing more with less across the industry. I, I don't think anyone could say it was anything other than that. <laughs> um, but there are also these huge opportunities. Um, you know, I, I started a sort of conversation on Twitter a while ago where I was, you know, I was talking about how how amazing it was, the people who were entering the industry um, and knowing that, you know, journalism is not an easy job and it never has been. That hasn't changed. It's, you know, you're exposed to pretty, you know, people's really personal stories. You're exposed to, you know, traumatic, you know, circumstances. 
Um, and um, and you do it all because you believe in in informing the community, informing the public on what's going on, you know. And it's never been a job that pays massive bucks either. It's it's never been a kind of you go into journalism to make money. I don't think anyone's ever done that, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, mm. And um, and so um, we've got these people at a time when you know the, the news industry has is been in massive flux and disruption. People are still, you know, studying at places like, you know, Monash and RMIT to be journalists, knowing that it's tough, right? Um, And they still do it because they believe in it, which is what I love about journalists. Um, But also, I think there are more opportunities as for young journalists these days than there used to be because um, the industry is kind of tighter, you know? So where you might have once worked in a regional newsroom and you could never hope to kind of, you know, get a byline that went national or, you know, your story, your, your local story, you know, was never going to go beyond the reaches of your listeners locally. Um, now, um, you know, there's, there's a much higher chance that you can kind of go, you know, if you're at the ABC, you can kind of go, uh, well, actually, this story might work for landline, say. Yeah, you know? that's interesting. Or, you or know, if you if harass a politician enough in a press conference, you never know. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> the sky's the limit. That's gotcha question. I'm sure it'll go, go viral. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, so, and, and I guess um, that, you know, that's a sort of the flip side of the, the digital revolution, yeah. um, which is that, you know, you can, you can have a local story that you can kind of go, okay, well, this matters to my local audience, but, hey, hang on. This has resonance, and it's a bit like young and regional. This has resonance with hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people across the country, um, and I can share that story everywhere. And I think those opportunities are much more now than they used to be. Yeah. I mean, I guess following on from that, I'd be really interested to hear what, your, what, the, um, what the response you've had from the, the young reporters themselves, because I suppose often if they're coming just out of university mm. and they would have spent a lot of that time being told don't make the new story about you. Make yeah, sure that you are as true. removed from it as possible. And then I guess to be encouraged through this this process to be like, well, no, actually your your personal experience of this is quite valid and actually quite relevant to the news. Um, have you have you found, I don't know, I'm, I'm interested about that tension of whether about that kind of how that's played out with you and, and the people involved in this project. Yeah, really good question. I think, you know, for starters, really brave of these reporters to mm-hmm. kind of go, okay, I'm not just going to report and interview other people and tell their stories. I'm going to say, you know, no, actually, I'm I'm living this right alongside you and here's my personal story. Um, so um, just m- massive kudos to them for doing that and being really open and honest about that. I think, and I'd love to hear your views as well, but I think um, audience expectations of news have changed. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we we kind of, when I say we, I mean as an audience, we we kind of expect, um, you know, I guess a, a, a level of kind of overarching honesty. Like if you're if you're reporting on this, well, where where are you coming from? You know, mm-hmm. um, and I think this that's partly why this, uh, authenticity, this like resonated. an authentic voice. Absolutely, because mm. it's not just someone coming in and saying, "Okay, I'm I'm observing you," and um, you know, and I'm sort of you know, applying my journalism skills and then reporting on that. (laughs) I'm actually, when I interview you, I'm coming from a position of empathy or, you know, Mm -hmm. I've been through that myself. And I I really like that sort of, that that honesty in journalism, that ability to go, you know, hey, this is where I'm at and this is where you're at. 
and um, and telling that story like with that authentic voice and being able to say this is this is where I'm coming from when I write this. I think mm-hmm. I think it resonates with audiences. But I mean, you know, you I'd be interested to hear what you two think too. Yeah, <laughs> Charlie and I are both we, we, we both apparently have thoughts. <laughs> I mean, I think the yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think the authenticity is the is the is the key to that. And I think also, I mean, because ultimately, yes, it's 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 a trade conducted by humans and therefore you have to know on some level that it is being influenced by those views. I think I think kind of like going from being a, a journalism student to being a professional journalist, the big thing was realising that the difficulty is not keeping yourself out of the story. The difficulty is knowing when your personal view actually matters and will make that story more interesting. I think I don't know if that makes sense, but it's it's sort of like. But I the, guess that's what's interesting about the series because it's limiting. It's, it's yeah, it's, it's focused to, to a very it's, specific, direct experience. And of these guys, you know yeah. that the um, author already has, or the writer, the journalist has some skin in the game because it is limited yeah, to this. Yeah. I think there's there's a difference between um, sensationalist journalism where <clears throat> you have to flay yourself <laughs> bare in order to <laughs> demonstrate your skin, skin in the game versus this, which is, I, I, as, as you said, Saffron, the empathy. I have the empathy to tell this story. And I think this is more and more relevant post-COVID as well. I think a lot of people, you know, we everyone wanted to hear from um, – healthcare workers and first responders and mm-hmm. there was a very there was a big trend of um a lot of those those sorts of authentic voices actually telling the story and you're like oh wow well that looks really interesting yeah you can actually a- cut to the source mm-hmm. you know and i think you know th- this is a thing like this is a new, this is a huge experience across so many different um cross sections of the society this uh, the the rental crisis, the housing crisis, on a lot of levels, to be able. Oh, totally. Yeah, I mean, yeah. We had one of one of our stories was sort of focusing the young and regional stories was focusing on the experiences, literally, of regional journalists at ACM, you know, and how they struggled to find rental properties. And um, Meg Whitfield, who's based at the um, in Burnie at the the Advocate had interviewed um, this guy called Angus Mickey, who's a journalist at the Dungog Chronicle. He's the only journalist in town, right? And he's, mm-hmm. he's um, you know, he's, he's early career journalist. And he'd spend months going back and forth between Sydney and Dungog trying to find a rental. And he only found a rental in the end because he'd been to the real estate agent so many times that um, one day when he was in there, a local came up and said, oh, I'll give you um, a rental um, uh, of below market rate because I think we need young people in the town. Wow! <laughs> so it's, like these kind of things that you know, it's it's it's, it's just like brutal. really it's brutal, right? Yeah. Saffron, is there any um, any plan to um, extend this project to other areas that affect young people in regions? I was thinking, I mean, like. Not that this is obviously this is an extremely the housing crisis. Is the housing crisis is the is, is the obvious and key kind of area of it. But yeah, and I suppose I mean I, talking to I mean because what you said before about about the kind of the the wonderful experience that a lot of people have in regional journalism gigs coming straight out of university. You know, I've I've, I've I have a lot of friends who are now based scattered in actually in regional WA mainly. Um, but it was interesting, very very interesting talking to them about their experiences of being a young person in these regional areas. Is there any sense that that will, yeah, extend out in any kind of way? 
Look, I, I really hope so. Um, I mean, we're obviously already thinking about the next iteration of Young and Regional. I yeah, think this great. has been... People have really um, responded well to this. And being able to pull those those stories from different areas and show the commonalities. And I think it's unique to regional journalism that <clears throat> um, we, we don't... Don't always do a good job of that because people sort of, you know, see themselves as of this region and of this town, and being able to connect all those dots for people mm-hmm. is is a really unique thing. And to have young people doing it, um, I think is really, you know, important as as a middle aged person. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I can say that I think that you know overall those younger voices are underrepresented in the media as well. Absolutely. Um, even though they are often the people telling the stories. <laughs> yeah. um, they're underrepresented in the coverage that we we provide across the media generally. So um, I'm I'm excited about the next iteration of this. I think it's really important that we keep telling these kinds of stories in this kind of way because um, it's a it's a unique perspective, um, but also it's it's the future, right? I mean, yeah, these are people who are going to you know, move on in their journalism, you know, become the community leaders, become the, the, the messengers for their community, um, settle down, you know, set up their family in whatever form that takes. Um, and so um, I think it's really important that we know how young people kind of view the future and, you know, are experiencing the current situation. And so if we can do it in, in a little way through through these kind of theories, um, I mean, I feel like job done. I, I'm pretty satisfied. Yeah. I think we've, we've also seen a really fractious relationship between, you know, um, quote-unquote, the general public um, and the media over the last few years. You know, there's a lot of mistrust developing and well, in some quarters and there's a really divisive attitude towards... Um, uh, what the media do and who they are and what they publish and, you know, the whole concept of fake news and all that sort of stuff. And so the idea that um, I love this as a response, that actually if we are more honest and more open in in how we link the, our author's experience to the authentic, you know, their authentic experience to the stories that they tell, while also being able to report objectively on a sports game or a crime or whatever it might be, um, then surely the end result is that you're going to build more trust in the news, you know? Oh, and I, I really hope that, that that is, yes, absolutely, and I hope that that is a sort of side effect of, of projects like this and I hope to see more of them in, you know, across different media organisations. I think, um, you know, it, it, it becomes even more, having worked in both regional and metro media, um, your relationship with your your audience is much closer in regional media just because, you know, it's fewer people, it's a limited space. And so you literally, like, you know, you, you see your readers when you go shopping at Woolies. Yeah. You, know, you, have, to be, yeah. you have to be – you're accountable to, to what you – You're yeah, totally yeah. accountable. Yeah. As opposed to the opinion section of major yeah. newspapers, but, newspapers, but I'll get over that. Yeah, we've got to leave Saffron <laughs> out of that. That's, that's not that, – that's another that's another triple R segment, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, my, oh, it so is. And we will revisit it time and time again. And uh, I do want to ask you a little bit about um, Crinkling News, which is such a wonderful title. Uh, and it's a, a newspaper that you established, a national newspaper or publication for children. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Sure. Look, unfortunately, it's no longer publishing, yeah, but I should R&D. also... 
I should also be very honest and say it was my husband who came up with the term <laughs> crinkling, the, the title, Crinkling News. Um, he, Ramey Bianchi is very good at that. He, he also used to work at the Sydney Morning Herald and uh, he's very good at those kind of things. But I love um, that because it is such a – it's so reflective of what children would do with a newspaper <laughs> straight away is just mm, – Crinkle it. Crinkle it. Just get into the texture of it, you know. Totally, yeah. So, um, look, Crinkling News is amazing. It was probably just slightly before its time um, because since we launched it in 2016 and since then, um, you know, since we, we stopped publishing, there's been, um, there's been a big opening up of sort of philanthropic contributions to journalism. We've had things like the Judith Nielsen Institute mm-hmm. has been launched. Um, even Google News Initiative and, and, and some of the sort of funding they've provided to a whole lot of different projects around the world and in Australia as well. And there just wasn't that available when we launched. Um, so instead, um, I think we, we kind of opened up the possibility of, like, you know, actually, you know, above and beyond behind the news, the long-running um, TV news show on the ABC for children, um, it sort of got, you know, explaining the news for, for young people, um, we showed that young people were interested in mm. the news and, and also, um, and funnily enough, just linking it back to young and regional, they were really keen to be a part of it. Um, so that was one of the things we did. We sort of explained the big news stories and the the, um, the sort of current affairs of the day and the week, um, but we also got, um, you know, particularly teenagers involved in it. So mm-hmm. And even younger kids in, like, book reviews and movie reviews and game reviews and stuff like that. And then teenagers, we got involved in actually reporting news and we'd nurture them and help them do that. Um, and, look, it was, it was hugely popular and it's devastating. As, it's just so expensive um, as, to do something like that as a, as a print or publication thing, isn't it? Well, look, funnily enough, it's not the print, although that's becoming increasingly an issue. Um, it's journalism. <laughs> Jour- good, good original journalism, as I'm sure both of you know, costs money. Um, mm. You know, if you're not churning someone else's content, then yeah. you're, you're paying an individual to do, you know, um, interviews for the first time and original research. And, and if we're to, con- like, continue nurturing that, which is such an important part of our democracy and our society... We, we need to, as a society, understand that that costs, yeah. um, that it is not free. Like, it, it comes at a cost, whether it's a taxpayer or a subscriber or, or um, you know, a, a philanthropic funder, it does, it does cost. And that, that really was the, the big thing. And without, without yeah, the, the philanthropic funding or, or anything like that, we, we couldn't continue publishing. But it was a wonderful two years. And, <laughs> um, and I feel like we, we left quite a legacy in the media in Australia. So I feel very proud of that. What a fabulous project. And, I, you know, and it just also shows, you did mention BTN. I remember watching that in my classroom as a kid. And we are going back some time. <laughs> I'm not going to talk All numbers, of, to numbers of decades. <laughs> Thanks, Charlie. Um, and my kid, my kid loves it, you know. It, like mm. there is an absolute audience in kids for that rather than just um, – the kind of reality, other reality TV that they get. However, so I hope Crinkling News lives to see another day. Thank you so much, Saffron. I've loved talking to you. It's been amazing and I'm... Can I ask one favour before I go? Can I just mention the people involved in Young and Regional? Because I'm so proud of them and they're so amazing. Um, So, Jayanna Mobbs, who's at the Mudgee Guardian in uh, Mudgee in New South Wales, Alana Thomason, who's just moved to the Port Stephens Examiner in New South Wales, 
Um, Lani Tyndale, who's at the Canberra Times in the ACT. Dominic Unwin, who's um, at um, is in Goulburn and um, it files for the Goulburn Post and the Southern Highland News. Um, Grace Crivellero, who works at the Illawarra Mercury um, in Wollongong in New South Wales. Um, <clears throat> Fleur Connick, um, who um, was part of the national digital team and has actually just moved to the, the Guardian um, to do rural reporting for the Guardian. Um, Hannah Neal, who's also in Canberra um, at the Canberra Times. And um, Brianna Devlin, who's at the Southern Highland News in New South Wales. And Alex Dalziel, who's right here where I am right now, <laughs> in Horsham in the Wimmera in Victoria. Um, I... And massive shout-out to them because they're amazing and they did an extraordinary job. 100%. Just even listening to that, just what an incredible national project when so many news budgets are shrinking and everything is actually contracting for a project like that to exist that is fully national, regionally so, not just um, national cities, and with a really um, specific focus that is often ignored in other kind of um, metropolitan-based publications is awesome. So Totally. And I did forget Meg Whitfield in Bernie in Tasmania. Sorry. <laughs> you didn't forget. You just saved the best for last. <laughs> Thanks so much, Saffron. It's so great. It's been so great to talk to you. Words and music. Triple R. Charlie. Yes. Can we change the subject to one John Barillaro? John Barillaro. I mean, he's a gift that keeps on giving. As far, if you, if if you, uh, in the in the in the game of. Um, Actually, actually, I would even I would even narrow it down to Barillaro because it is actually the New South Wales government. Uh, in general, for the last couple of years, if you write about politics, uh, there has been no greater gift than than <laughs> the, the 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 New South Wales Liberal Party. Well, actually, if you go back a decade, both parties have been so unbelievably calamitous and chaotic. It's just been a joy to to kind of to Watch take it. these gifts. Um, so 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 John Barnlaro, um If we're gonna if we're gonna really focus on that, I mean, what the the crazy thing is is that. It was kind of understood um, that Labour in New South Wales had made themselves essentially unelectable for for the rest of our lifetimes, with with things like Eddie Obeid and 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 the surrounding kind of yeah. uh, corruption issues that that um, really just engulfed them. They just were considered such a toxic political brand that it could not possibly come back up. And 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 actually, that may still end up being the case. What's really surprising and kind of funny is that and maybe that, that this is actually related is that the liberal party now on in that state has has managed to kind of it's almost like it's contagious like they've caught a little bit of this this i mean and i don't think actually also the 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 it's 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 different levels of and different iterations of, of, of corruption i suppose um but so to those of our, our listeners who have not really followed this um Essentially, the the the, um, the scandal that's come out of all this comes from the appointment of former New South Wales um, Deputy Premier John Barillaro. Uh, he has quit politics and been immediately appointed to a what the media loves to refer to as a plum gig <laughs> as a trade envoy to uh, New York. More and more, this this was already on the face of it such an obvious. Um, 
conflict of interest in terms of this guy getting this job as soon as he leaves politics. There was a there was an inquiry kind of. But before that even happened, I mean, there was um, a lot of pressure on him. You know, to he was still taking the job when this when oh, all of sure. this first sure. arose, and it yeah. just came out bit by bit, and it was like, oh. There was actually another candidate who was uh, assessed woman, as the person who should have yeah, gotten it. Who was one of the you know sort of um, high, highest serving public servants who has immaculate qualifications. Yeah. Oh, and then suddenly he gets it. Oh, suddenly she's being bad mouthed. Oh, and it's just one after it every is, yeah. one after the other. Every little cut or misstep was just like yeah, out yeah. of control. And then now it's just again. It's like um. It's like the articles, or the, it's like once the rats know the ship's going down, they just flee. And all, and yeah, and actually, to be honest, this one isn't so much an example of that. We're definitely mm. seeing that with, say, the uh, federal coalition, where every part of their process in well, terms of reviewing the last election the, is being leaked to various sympathetic newspapers. In this one, it's actually there, there is a process, oh, yeah, okay. a judicial process <laughs> where, where it has to, where this stuff is being That's not leaked, true. but but um, actually presented as evidence well, that's, which makes it all the all the sweeter i think well that's the thing but the testimony itself though is incredibly oh, inc- the knives are out oh for sure for sure yeah, yeah. yeah and, and, and and you know ex- exactly i mean it's 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 the the fact that it was going to be a a um normally appointed job and then it became a a ministerial appointment the role and then every step from that between jenny west being given the job and then being told actually it's a gift to someone. I can't tell you who. And then John Barilaro has it. Um, what I think I, my favorite detail from the last week that's come out is that um, as part of the um, as part of the investigations into this, a lot of text messages have now been subpoenaed, um, have been yeah submitted as evidence. And I think my favorite part of it, because there's something quite human about all of this. Um, is that well? On also on on May twenty third of this year, Investment New South Wales, who are the people who decided whether this job would go ahead, the managing director texted Barilaro to congratulate him on getting the job, which mm. is you know already a little bit problematic. But <laughs> she referred to him as dear DP, which stands for Deputy Premier, and the idea that you would message someone with their government title <laughs> while you are t- congratulating them on getting a job that the government has just given them. <gasps> oh no, that's funny. Mm. Um, the other one is that the um, investment New South Wales media director, Christoph Clark, uh, when this news sort of broke first, there's there's the media directors are kind of like texting each other and this has now become available to us. Um, and what I love is uh, Clark says, any aggro for anyone? <laughs> Hull says, a little bit, but it's settled. And then um, Clark says, I wonder who Yoni heard that from. Yoni is uh, Yoni Bashan, who is the Australian's news reporter from New South Wales who who, who broke this news. Mm-hmm. And uh, Hull replies, I'm not sure who told Yoni. It was probably Barilaro himself. Oh, and, no. then, and then puts a, a rolling eyes emoji at the end of it. And that's all for this week. Thanks for listening. You can find us every week on your favourite podcast platform. And you can follow us on Twitter at NadSamble at Lily Juice and at The Shuffle Diary. You can also listen in at rrr.org.au via On Demand for the radio version of the show. Want to support Spin Cycle? Become a Triple R subscriber. Your subscription helps keep the station running and helps Triple R produce and create great radio and podcast content like this.